He's always good, forever faithful. His covenant goes for thousands of generations. There is no end to it. I'm going to catch some of you up who weren't here last week, or maybe some of you youth who were downstairs. We've been reading verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. It's kind of cool to read a book verse by verse because then you begin to see that there's not just a, a cool verse here and a cool verse there, but there is a pattern, there's a story being told, there's something important. There's usually some themes in there that come out, especially if you read it all as one letter. And so we're going to take our time and, and study it through. As I've said before, I happen to believe that every single word in this book is life-giving. I believe that every single word in this book can set you free. And so because we believe that, we uh, like to read the whole thing sometimes because there's not any verses we're afraid of, you know. We're not going to come upon this and go, let's skip over this. We don't believe this stuff. We believe it. And because we believe it, it's, it's fun to get into it. And I want you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We want you to know that the God we serve is not a God of philosophy. It's not a God of history. It's not a God of religion. What we believe is not based on superstition. It's not based on pure wishing, hoping that this would be true. I don't believe in heaven because it makes me feel better about death. I believe in heaven because it exists. I don't need something to make me feel better about death. I don't need a crutch. I need him more than I need a crutch. We didn't invent this stuff. As, as Peter said, we didn't invent this stuff. We didn't make it up. <laughs> We're not just making up nice little stories. The Apostle Paul said, stay away from myths and fables. Stay away from those little stories that don't really mean anything. Put your hope in what really happened. Put your hope in a real God. And he's a living God. So when we read this stuff, we're not reading about what God just did a long time ago. And for them, he did it. We get to read about it. We're reading about a God who is alive today. He's a God who's active today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you've ever picked up your Bible and said, well, that's really cool. I wish I, wish I could have been alive in those days. If you've read, ever read the book of Acts and said, well, I wish I could have been alive when those miracles happened. I could, wish I could have been alive when God did those kind of things. I want to tell you, it's the same God. It's the same Spirit. You have the same covenant. There is nothing different about you and the early church as far as God's concerned. The playing field is level. There is not one verse in the Bible that says healing is going to go away. There's not one verse in the Bible that tells me that miracles are going to stop happening. There's not one verse in the Bible that says there's going to be a day and age where you're not going to have to deal with, with an enemy. You know, you could go to 1 Corinthians 13, and it says someday tongues and prophecy will go away. Do you know what that day is? He says the day when the perfect becomes perfect, when we know as we're known. Guys, you're not there yet. You figure that out. Do you know everything yet? Do you know as much as, as God knows about you? You don't know that. H have we become perfect yet? No, we have not become perfect. So that day is not here. Do you know when that day will be? 
That day is when we get to be with Jesus, and we get a new body, and we are glorified with him. That day's not here yet. So until that day comes, we're still going to need to pray in the Spirit. Until that day comes, we're still going to need prophecy. Until that day comes, you still live in a body that sometimes breaks down, and you've got to know you serve a God who heals. You won't need the healing power of God when you're worshiping him in heaven, when you're on the new earth. You're not going to need that. You'll have a new body. That's not under the curse. That's not in a world that's broken. But we are currently in a world that's broken. And bodies get old. Because they get old, they die. And that's okay. Jared, do you want to stick around for 300 years? Would you rather go see Jesus at some point? Yeah, I'd rather go see Jesus. Don't sentence me to this earth for 300 years. I want to do my job and get out of here. Now, that job's going to take a while. So I'm probably not as efficient as Jesus, who got his job done in 33 years. I need more time. And I believe, should Jesus take his time and, and, and is patient with the world and doesn't come in the next 50, 60 years, I'll be around. <laughs> and I, I trust that many of you will be too. But we have to know that there's a need to believe in a God who still does miracles today, who still rescues, who's involved in your life. Because if you believe in a God that's just up there but doesn't touch you, if you believe in a God that doesn't really do anything to help you, if you believe in a God that doesn't really ever interfere with the lives of men, I'm not sure you believe in a God. You know, you just kind of believe in fate. You kind of believe in coincidence. But we believe in a real God who really does things. But you know, there's a lot of things that uh, the Scripture talks about that God grants, but you have to receive by faith. Right? The Bible says, Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. In another place it says, in Christ, all God's promises are yes. He's not yes and no, they're yes. But in order to receive that promise, you have got to have faith and you have got to have patience. And patience doesn't mean that everything God does is going to take a long time. Patience means you don't give up when everything seems like you should give up. Right? You endure. And we talked about that last week, about what comfort really means. Because when we think of comfort, like I said, we think of downy, soft, duvets, you know, cloud, you know, just, just comfort. We, some of you think of hot tubs. You think of nice, nice furry jackets. But that's not what comfort means in this uh, first chapter of 2 Corinthians. When he talks about comfort, he's talking about, uh, and, and we talked about the word, the word itself that he uses for comfort means to call someone to your side to give you help, to aid you. So this means when you feel like you can't take it anymore, when you feel like breaking down, when you feel when everything is attacking you at once, that comfort he talks about is God coming to your side and holding you up and strengthening you and fighting with you. And he says, and we read it last week, that that God of all comfort who gives us this comfort, it says when he gives you that comfort, what do you do? You go and you comfort somebody else. So the scriptural idea of comfort isn't there, there, it's going to be okay. The scriptural idea of comfort isn't I'm here for you. If you ever need to just vent, well, that might be nice. But how would you feel if you were on the battlefield? Guys and girls alike. Now, I'm, I'm thankful that, that women don't have to fight. 
in the battlefield. The U.S. just passed a law where women are going to fight in the front lines. I don't know how I feel about that, but there it is. I'd rather not have my wife have to go fight a battle. I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. But anyways, that's, that's beside the point. Put that out of your mind. But imagine we're all on the battlefield, right? We're fighting a battle, and you need help. You're outgunned. You're outmanned. You need help. Do you need somebody to come and say, come beside you, and they've laid their gun down way back there, and they come, and they, they scoot up beside you, and they say, it's okay, do you just want to vent? You just, just, I know it's hard. You just tell me what's going on. What are you feeling right now? I need more than that, guys. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to fight for me and fight with me. And so while it is good to, to listen and it is good to be there for people, sometimes what they really need is somebody to encourage them, build them up, hold them up, pray with them, strengthen them, say, I'm on your side, I'm on your team, I'm fighting with you, just as God fights for me. So we're going to go to the next part of uh, chapter 1 where we left off. 2 Corinthians is not a book for wimps. It's, a ch- it's written to a church that's gone through a lot. It's going through a lot. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And probably in this letter, we see more of the difficulties the Apostle Paul has had to go through to preach the gospel than anywhere else. And he doesn't go through these difficulties so he can be a better person. He goes through these difficulties to preach the gospel. He understands, and here's what he says. He says, all of these things we had to go through, we did it for you. If I had to put up with nakedness, sword, peril, it's been for you. Somebody had to do it so that you'd hear the gospel. And these apostles, at one point, he says, we're kind of like the scum of the earth. We're the guys that get sent in first, so all the... All, we get shot at before everybody else. We're the cannon fodder. He says, us apostles, you think we're so great? You know what we do? We go in where nobody's heard the gospel. And he says, when we go in, people don't like us. People treat us bad. But it's all worth it because we get to preach the gospel and see lives change and see the kingdom advance. And like I said, he never looks at this like it's a sad thing, like it's a hard thing. He says, there's a reward for me in heaven. Not only that, but Jesus has been with me. I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm not depressed. I don't despair. I don't lose heart. Because I know that this stuff, this temporary stuff I'm, I'm having to go through to preach the gospel to you is nothing. It's temporary. It's light. And it's not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. This is all worth it. And so... This is a man who knew the miraculous. This is a man who understood a God who came through. He's a guy who knows miracles. He's a guy who knows that when things look like they can't turn around. I mean, he was in prison and just started praising the Lord with his buddy. And what happened? An earthquake came and they got out of prison. I mean, he's been in situations. He's been in shipwrecks where he should have died, didn't die. He got bit by a snake that should have killed him. What did he do? He just shook it off in the fire and kept going. This is a guy who was stoned to death. Disciples gathered around him, prayed for him. He got up, walked right back into the city that stoned him, not freaking out, not afraid. I mean, this guy knows what it's like to be on the edge and believe in God and not believe in a God that's way up there from a distance, you know? No offense to Bette Midler or whoever. But that God is watching us from a distance is kind of a sad way to look at God. 
right? Scripture says, here's the mystery being preached to you, Christ in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not just somewhere far away watching you from a distance, shedding a single solitary tear when you start to fall down and hurt yourself. We're talking about a God who's actively involved in life. Here's what he says. In verse 8, we left off at verse 7 was the last thing we read. He says in verse 8, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia. Now, Asia that he's talking about, he's not talking about China, Japan, Korea. He's talking about Asia Minor, which was a, a province in the Roman Empire, which was basically what's now Turkey. Okay, so that's where a lot of those, a lot of those cities were kind of Greek cities at the time, but, you know, the Romans split it up into what they called the province of Asia, the province of Asia Minor, and now most of those things are in now Turkey. And so he, that's where he is, and he says, we had some afflictions in Asia. He says that we were burdened excessively. This means, excessively means more than a little, right? This is, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Now that's important. Think about what burdened means. What does it mean to carry a burden? It means that you've got something on your back. It's a weight on you. You're having to carry it. Now, should the Apostle Paul have had to carry this on his own? No, right? What does he say in another place? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't say you need to carry your own burdens. He says the Lord bears our burdens. And so here he says we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. And that phrase is important, beyond our strength. Not beyond God's strength, but beyond ours. So that we despaired even of life. Do you know what it means to despair? Despair means you lost hope. We despaired even of life, which means that the great Apostle Paul and all his great Apostle buddies at some point began to lose hope altogether. Began to think this is the end. This is it. We're done. Verse 10, or verse 9, sorry. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Now, think about that. What does it mean when you have the sentence of death? Now, the Apostle Paul's been in situations where somebody put a sentence of death over him, right? Where somebody says, you're, you're sentenced to die, and he's like, well, yeah, we'll see about that. Where somebody says, we got, we, I mean, he had a group of people for, for a little bit that said, we're not going to eat until he's dead. Now, those are some determined people. You might have people that don't like you, but they're still going and getting a Happy Meal whenever they want it. They're, they're, they're not trying to kill you every day. These guys said, we will not eat until this man is dead. I don't know if any of us have faced that kind of antagonism. And I don't want to. Right? If somebody's trying to kill me, I want them to at least space it out so they can have some naps and some food in between so they're maybe not so angry. These guys were con- <laughs> these guys had, had bound themselves with an oath. So this is a, a tricky situation. And he says, we had the sentence of death not just over us, but within us. But what does that mean to you? Because in all these other situations, he's convinced, no, God will deliver us. God will set us free. But it got so bad at this point that he and his friends said, I don't think we're going to make, make this out alive. I don't think we're going to make it out of here. He said, we had a sentence of death within ourselves. On the inside, he's convinced he's going to die. That's pretty bad, isn't it? 
But he says, so that we would not trust in ourselves. In other words, it doesn't, it, it's, it's not saying this all happened so we learn to not trust in ourselves. Because then you've got you've to start believing that God put murder in somebody's heart. And we know that the Bible says in the book of James that God cannot tempt with evil, nor can he be tempted. And I'm telling you, I don't believe that God made some people try to kill Paul. That's not what happened. God doesn't cause people to sin. What this is saying here is, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, and the result of that was, we had to learn not to trust in ourselves. We would not trust in ourselves. The effect of this on themselves, see, they never should have been trusting in themselves, should they have? Well, that's kind of a bad attitude to start with, isn't it? It doesn't matter how cool you are, it doesn't matter how confident you are, you really should never be in a situation where you are trusting in yourselves. But you know what? I've been in these situations. I've been in situations where we were thrown into a war zone and things were so easy where they said it would be terrible, where they said it'd be hard. Things were so smooth that you start to think that's just because you're just so confident and just because you're so brave, things are going well. It, it might not have been as bad as everybody said. But the truth of the matter is, the only reason it seems to be going so well is because God's hand is on you. And so what should have been a hard situation, what should have been a war zone, is peaceful wherever you go because he sent you there. Now, it's not always peaceful, but you know that you can have the same attitude as David had. Even if a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand fall at my right hand, it won't come near me. It won't come near me. For I've made the Lord my refuge. He says, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me, for he is with me. So here, they should never have trusted in themselves. But they did. But something burdened them so excessively. There was so much despair, there was so much put on them, that they had to switch from trusting in themselves to trusting in God. Because it got to the point where it went beyond their strength. Now, I'm going to tell you, in everything, we should be relying on his strength to start with, shouldn't we? You shouldn't wait. Please don't wait until you're pushed beyond your strength before you start trusting in his strength. It would be much better for you to just start trusting him off the top. But in this situation, maybe they got overconfident. They started trusting in themselves. He says we had to learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So this is how bad the situation was. That for them to get out of this situation, it would be equivalent to being raised from the dead. That's how big the sentence of death is within themselves. Like I said, when you have the sentence of death over you, that's other people saying you're going to die. But when you have the sentence of death within yourself, that's you saying, I'm going to die. That's the Apostle Paul who we really love and we really look up to. That's him saying, I think we're going to die. And he had to begin to trust in God who raises the dead. You know, Abraham had the same attitude. If you remember, the Bible says that Abraham, when he sacrificed Isaac, it tells us in the New Testament, see, we, we remember that God told Abraham to lay Isaac on the altar and sacrifice him. And we know that the angel caught his hand as he was about to bring the knife down angel caught his hand and stopped him and he looked in the bush and there was a ram caught in the thicket you know and that was his sacrifice and we remember that part you've got to remember what Abraham said to his servant on the way up the mountain 
He said, the boy and I will return. He's confident they're coming back. But the New Testament tells us that what Abraham had to believe was that God raises the dead. In other words, Abraham's thought was, I think I'm going to have to kill my son. He's going to get raised from the dead. Of course, we know we serve a loving God who doesn't make, <laughs> who wouldn't make Abraham plunge a knife into his own little boy. It wasn't a little boy, he was a teenage boy, but still. But Abraham was saying, I don't know how this is going to go down, but God, if, if, if what you have to do is raise my son from the dead, I know it'll happen. Why was Abraham so confident that that's what would happen? Because Isaac was the son that was promised to him. He knew that this son was going to live because God said, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to use Isaac and make you a father of many nations. So he knew there's no way Isaac dies on that altar. And if God has to raise him from the dead, he can do that. Sometimes it'd probably be good for us to start there, hey? Just start with the knowledge that God could raise from the dead. Then everything else is easy, right? If you just start by saying, you know what, I don't know how this is going to happen, but God can raise the dead. So I guess my car can run. You know, God... God can raise the dead, so I don't have to live with this headache all day. God can raise the dead. If God can raise the dead, then I think I'm going to have food on my table. I know I'm going to have food on my table. He can raise the dead. It's probably the biggest thing on the list, right? If God can raise the dead, he can do anything else. But here, this God can raise the dead stuff is not just like a pie in the sky. Well, if he can raise the dead, he can help us. The Apostle Paul's starting to think he may have to raise us from the dead. But he does do that. Verse 10. He says this. We had to put our trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death. I want you to hear that. He delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. Do you love that? There's a confidence there. He doesn't say, you know, sometimes we just treat God like he's a slot machine in the sky, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Like it's a roll of the dice when you pray. I don't know what he's going to feel like today. If he's having a good day, he might help us. If he's having a bad day, we're in trouble. But that's not the God you serve. God you serve is a God of covenant. He makes promises. He's dependable. He, I mean, you may not know everything about God. I don't know God's will in every matter, for sure. But there are certain things I do know because he wrote it down. Because he promised it to me. So I know if he promised it, then that's for sure. That's settled. And I do know the nature of God. We can know the nature of God. And we know what he's like. And, and here Paul says it so confidently that he's learned something from this experience. He's learned not only that God could deliver us, not only that God did deliver us, but he says with confidence, he's putting himself on the record, and he will deliver us. Now you need to have that attitude. You can't just go through life having the attitude, God did deliver me, I hope he does it again. Because if you have that attitude, you know what you're saying about God? He's undependable. He's schizophrenic. He doesn't know what he wants. He's moody. God is not a man that he should lie. He says, God delivered us from so great a peril of death, and he will future deliver. He on whom we have set our hope. And he says it again. And he will yet deliver us. I love that. He says it two times. He will deliver us. 
which is probably like right now in this very moment, he will deliver us, and then he will yet deliver us. In other words, guys, I'm not just telling you the story of God's greatest hits, about that one time he, he delivered us, about that one time he rescued us. I'm telling you he rescued us, I'm telling you he's going to rescue us today, and I'm telling you he's going to rescue us tomorrow. You can go ahead and tell your friends that's what's going to happen. And this, this got written down in a letter, sent to a church, and has been read for thousands of years. And do you know what? It was true. Turns out, after this letter was written, that God did deliver him. Some of those things I told you about, those rescues from death, happened after this letter. This was actually one of the first letters he wrote to the churches. First and Second Corinthians were written before the book of Romans, were written before the letters to Timothy or Titus or Philemon. And so these are some of his earliest letters. He had a lot of adventures after this. And when he said he will yet deliver us, boy, he was right. Do you know when he died? When he died, he was done. That's important. Death didn't decide he was done. He knew he was done. And he was ready to go see Jesus. He said, I'm finished. I fought the good fight. I finished my race. Guys, I don't want to stay around here when I'm done. I don't want to stay around here after I'm finished my race. He said this in the letter to the Philippians. He said to be with Christ is much better. He said to live is Christ. But to die is gain. I'm going to tell you, when we believe what we believe, it's not losing when you get to go to heaven. It's not losing to get to go be with Jesus. But I want to finish my job here before I go. Do people go before their time? Yes, they do. Or else God wouldn't tell us to pray for them. Or else God wouldn't tell us to lay hands on the sick. If everything was just supposed to happen when it happened. Or else the church should never have prayed for Peter. Or else Paul should never have asked the church to pray for him. That's, we have a part to play here. So when the Apostle Paul went, he was ready to go. Peter, same thing. It's not in the Bible. I've told you it before. It's not in the Scripture how Peter died, but early church records and, and, and the histories of the church tell us that he was an old man in Rome, walking out of Rome, one more time to escape the troops that had been sent to his house to go arrest him, escaping because he'd been warned ahead of time by some of the inside guys that they had. And he's about to leave as an old man. He's done all, that, he's done all these things. And it, I, I'm sure on his mind he remembers when Jesus said to him, when you're an old man, people are going to bind you and take you where you don't want to go. And it says in the Gospels, Jesus said this to signify to him in which way his death would glorify God. So Jesus told him how he was going to die. So in the back of his mind, he knows, I'm not going to die in my sleep. One of, the, one of these days, I'm going to die publicly. And it's going to be a witness to everybody that sees it, how, how I face death. As he's walking out of the city, he sees Jesus walk the other way turns and says to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, I've come again to be crucified. Old man Peter turns around and walks right back and lets himself be arrested. Now there's a man who knew he was done. Because he was done, he could go gladly. He didn't fight death. He welcomed a chance to see Jesus. The Apostle John, you guys may know the story. Once again, it's not in the scripture, but early church records tell us, and they're reliable sources 
tell us that the, the emperor Domitian attempted to boil him in oil as the Romans were doing at that time. If you've ever fried chicken, deep fried it, you know that what happens when you lower some meat into deep oil is the meat starts to loosen off the bone. That's what happens to a person when you boil them in oil. We just don't know that because we've never had to see that happen. Thank God, I hope I never will. But the Romans would do such stuff like that at that period of time. They'd lower a man into oil, boil him till his joints got all loose and he's dead and deep fried. And they'd lower a meat hook and pull him out. Early church records, eyewitnesses at the time said they tried to do this to John. They stuck him in for the required time, a little bit over the required time just to make sure. He's an old man. He'll probably last less than everybody else. When the meat hook goes down to drag him up, he's riding the meat hook with a smile on his face, and there's he's waving at everybody. Hey, how you doing? The emperor is so freaked out, he says, okay, we should stop trying to kill this guy. And they just sentence him to be alone somewhere on an island where no one can hear from him. It's on that godforsaken rock, which turns out not to be godforsaken. It's on that rock that Jesus comes and visits him and gives him the vision of the revelation of Jesus that we know that 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 opened up uh, so much of our future and past and present that it's one of the most amazing revelations in the whole Bible. And this he gets as an old man on a rock. And I'm assuming that when he's done, when he's really done, when he's finished what he's supposed to do, that he faced death gladly. So we're not talking about somebody getting you know, just being afraid to die. As believers, we're not afraid to die. I mean, I look forward to seeing Jesus. But I won't leave. As long as I have something to say about it, I'm not going to leave until I'm done. Paul here knew he wasn't done his race. He knew he hadn't finished what he was called to do. So they trusted in God. God delivered him. And he says, and he will deliver us. It's him that we've set our hope upon. And he will yet deliver us. He says this, You also, joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. It's very similar to what we read from the book of Philippians, right? What he said in the book of Philippians, for the benefit of those that are listening uh, online, what he said in the book of Philippians was, he said, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so we know that he says in more than one place, the reason I lived was because somebody was praying for me and God acted and God rescued. And he says here, I want you to pray and thank God and I want you to help me thank God by many people on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through what? Through the prayers of many. Do you notice he doesn't say the favor bestowed on us because God was having a good day? Do you notice he doesn't say the favor bestowed on us because God likes us more than he likes you? He says the reason the favor of God was bestowed on us was because somebody was praying for us. I want you to know that God moves on prayer. God is not helpless. God is not up in the heavens going, oh, 
I'm just, I just, I'm just so useless without these people. I can't do anything. No, he's not like that. I don't want you to think that that's what I'm saying. God is all-powerful. He's almighty. But he's given you a role to play. And he's told you to pray. And you can't just take yourself out of the equation and go, God wants to do it. God will do it. Because all through the scripture, he says, this is what happens when you pray. So you can't be so arrogant as to say, well, I don't think it does anything. You may think that's the opposite of arrogance, but it really is arrogance for you to say, I don't need to pray. If God wants to do it, he'll do it. Then you've got to explain to me why all these scriptures say, pray, church, pray, and this is what happens when you do. So Peter is rescued from prison because the church was praying fervently. Paul is rescued from death because somebody was praying for Paul. Yes, it was because God, it was his power, it was his strength, it was his might. We can't do anything without him. And yet he said to the church, you need to pray. So as believers, we've got to hear this. And we've got to know that we serve a God who rescues, a God who delivers. I want you to think of the worst, well, don't think of it, but I want you to consider the fact that the worst situation you're ever in, the worst situation you've ever had to face or will have to face, God is bigger than that. He's bigger than it. He's mightier, he's stronger, he's more powerful. It is not too big for God. So it says here, we were convinced we were going to die, but thank God we serve a God who can raise people from the dead. There is nothing too big for our God. The worst situation you've ever faced is not, not really up to this, this situation. Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God, and it says you will be able to resist, you will be able to stand. One of the places it says you will be able to stand in the evil day. We've talked about this before. I don't know how bad that day is going, but for you to call a day the evil day, it's a bad day. He says when you have the full armor that God gave you, you put that on, you trust in him, you have your shield of faith. Faith is nothing without God, right? Faith without God is useless. I mean, faith is depending on what he said, what he promised. Faith, you can't separate faith from the voice of God. When we say have faith, I'm not talking about some mystical force you have within yourself. I'm talking about true faith in God. He's the object of your faith. And so you put put up that shield of faith. It says you will be able to stand in the evil day. There's not a day you're going to face that's too big for God. There's not a day you're going to face that's worse than this day where even the great apostle Paul said, I think we're going to die. And something shifted in his heart. Something shifted in his mind. And he stopped relying on himself. See, because that sentence of death within you comes from depending on you. You start to put your hope in God. Things change. Right? Because look, look at you. When we're looking at situations, often we're saying, how do I compare to this situation? Am I big enough? Am I strong enough? And the answer is often no or maybe. But you know when you put that situation up next to a mighty, almighty God, that situation all of a sudden seems really, really small. The Israelites, when they went into the promised land, the spies went in. And what did the bad spies say? The evil spies, the ones who gave the bad report, they said, we're like grasshoppers. uh, They talked about the giants, and they said, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we must have been in theirs. You see, when they compared themselves to the giants, it's not a fair fight. But what did Joshua and Caleb say? 
if God is with us, they'll be our prey. If God is with us, we've got nothing to be afraid of. See, giants compared to us, yeah, we're, we're like popcorn chicken. But giants compared to God, nothing. Nothing. They're puny compared to our God. You've got you've to put everything in the light of who we're talking about. Are we talking about you? Are we talking about how strong you are? Because if we're talking about how strong you are, yeah, you're not up to it. But we're talking about how strong he is. He's up to it. We were burdened beyond our strength. We had the sentence of death within ourselves. And that may apply to you someday. There may be a day, guys, when you know you're not done and you know inside your spirit you've got more to do on this planet. It's not your time to go see Jesus. There is a time for you to go, and this isn't it. When a doctor says to you, this is terminal. You've got to decide whether that sentence of death, because that's what it is, is going to get in you. Whether you're going to begin trusting a God who raises the dead. This time is going to come to all of us at some point. Some of you may be so blessed as to, as to just never experience that when you're 99, 101 and you want to go see Jesus, and you just lay down your head, and you go to sleep, that's wonderful. Some of you are going to have to, going to, have to decide that when that question is asked of you, you're going to say, I may be burdened beyond my strength, but I'm not burdened beyond his strength. I serve a God who has delivered me, will deliver me, and will yet deliver me. I want you to remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them? I don't like using those names. Those are the names that were given to them by their pagan masters. Their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the good names. Those are the names that meant the Lord is my help, the Lord is my grace, the Lord is my strength, who is like our God, things like that. Their new names were things like who is like Aku, Aku being one of the Babylonian gods. You know, these were not as good of names. But somehow when we were kids, we learned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego more than Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So that's what I'm going to use just to remind you of it. But you remember the story of when Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't bow down to my idol, you're going to die. They stood up to him. And what did they say? They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow to you. Now, our God can and will deliver us. I want you to know you can look back in your Bible. You can double check that. I'm not telling you a lie. It says he will deliver us. And we've often misread this because later they say, even if he didn't, we still wouldn't bow to you. You have some people tell you that that says, even if he doesn't, you know, if he just decides not to, we're still going to burn for him. No, no, no. They said he will. Not he might, not he could. He will. But what they're saying to Nebuchadnezzar is, we're not going to just say this to you all bold and mighty because he's delivering us. We're not just saying this because we're not afraid to die because we know God's going to get us, us out of it. He say, they're saying, even if he didn't deliver us, we still wouldn't bow to you. The reason we're standing up to you is not because we're getting off easy. The reason we're standing up to you is because we will never bow to someone else. And we're not afraid to die for it. But they said, you know what? He can. And you look it up. They said this. He will deliver us. What did they do? They walked right into that fiery furnace. 
and God delivered them. It probably didn't deliver them like the way they thought he was going to do it. And I've said this before, don't tell God how he's going to do something. Don't finish the picture that he started and say, oh, you didn't do it the way I thought you were going to do it. Because if I were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would have been expecting the moment I start walking towards that furnace, God is going to jump in like a Navy SEAL and somehow snatch me out of that situation. Knock the guards down, let me run away. But that's not what happened. Can you imagine how every step closer to that furnace, you're like, okay, now's a good time. Real good time right now. Okay, time's running out. They're throwing us in. And that guy that's throwing us in just dropped dead because he's so close to the fire. But they go in, and the safest place to be, apparently, is right in the fire. And they walk out of it, not slightly charred, but alive. I want you to know, this is how God delivers. If, if the enemy burdens excessively, God rescues excessively. Because you watch out, when they walked out of the fiery furnace, the Bible says they didn't even, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Now, that's excessive, isn't it? You go, what? I mean, I could have smelled like smoke. That'd be okay. God rescued them and insulated them so well that they didn't even smell like smoke when they left that furnace. That's amazing. That's awesome. I want to read you something from the book of Psalms before we wrap up tonight. Know that your God is a rescuing God. He is our rescuer. You've got to look at him as your first and final option. God is not the um, safety valve. God is not your phone a friend. God is not your last chance ditch effort. God is your first call that you make, and he is your last call that you make. And you can go to a doctor, praise the Lord for doctors, but they are not the end of the story. And I love doctors. My brother-in-law is a doctor. He's a good one. And I believe in doctors, but I don't put hope in them like I put in God. Thank God. He says this in Psalm 138. Did I say Psalm 138? I did, but that's not what I meant. I didn't say it. This can all be edited out. I'm just kidding. I did. Psalm 68, I'm sorry. It's pretty much the same, right? They're in the same neighborhood. I got the book right. Psalm 68 says this. In verse 19, he says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. Now, what did Paul say? We were burdened excessively beyond our strength, right? When you allow the things of life to burden you, it will get to be too much for you. And this is when people have breakdowns. This is when people snap. Because you weren't made to bear all of these burdens. Blessed be the Lord, who daily, that means he's dependable, right? It's not just every once in a while he comes along and says, Ha, ah, you won the lottery, I'm taking that away. This is daily. He daily bears our burdens. The scripture says in the New Testament, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 
Casting means to totally transfer the weight off of you and onto him. He says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. He doesn't say the God who can be our salvation. He doesn't say the God who has salvation. He says God is our salvation. What does salvation mean? Maybe you've been saved for so long, you think of salvation like a Christian word, and you don't remember what it means. Salvation means the act of of rescuing, of saving somebody, snatching them out of something. God is to us, in verse 20, God is to who? Us. Let's say God is to some people. Every now and then, God is this. God is to us, his people, a God of deliverances. Plural, lots of deliverance. He is a God of deliverances. And to God the Lord belong escapes, plural, from death. <laughs> Don't you love that? God is a God of deliverances. And to God alone belong escapes from death. Once again, the guy who wrote this, the dude who wrote this little chapter is not some nice little poet who's sitting on a, on a bunch of purple pillows somewhere in the Middle East and says, hmm, I imagine if I were ever in trouble, God would deliver me. When he wrote that battle psalm, when he wrote Psalm 91 about God rescuing him, he's not saying, if, if I were in a battle and thousands of people were dying, oh, I think God would protect me. He's a guy who's been in these situations. He's a guy who's fought the battles. He's a guy who on one end, Saul's trying to kill him. His own king is trying to kill him. On the other end, the Philistines are trying to kill him, and he survives all of this. He's been there. And he says, can I tell you about my God? He is to us. God of deliverances. And to him belong escapes from death. Thank God. What does Psalm 91 say? It starts out by saying, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What does that mean? It means for you to look to God like this, You've got to run to Him. You've got to look to Him as your strength, as your source, as your life. You've got to put your burdens onto Him instead of on yourself. You've got to trust in the Lord instead of trusting in yourself. When you dwell in that secret place, you will abide under His shadow. The picture that's drawn in Psalm 91 is of a big, mighty bird who sticks his wings sticks her wings over her little chicks and shelters them. Do you know, some of those birds that we're talking about, once they stick their wings, those feathers, those layers and layers of feathers, they seem soft when you put them in pillows. But can I tell you, when they're like this, they're a shield. He says, in one place, he says, I'll find refuge under your feathers. <laughs> I was writing a song one time, and I... I put that line in there. The person I was writing the song with vetoed it and said, feathers just sound so girly. I said, can I tell you, this chapter is not girly. Well, no offense, girls. She meant, the, the person I was writing it with meant, it sounds so 
sounds so soft and delicate. And I'm telling you, when he, what he's talking about is a shield, a refuge in a time of trouble. And arrows are flying at you, but I'm under his feathers. He's keeping me. He's protecting me. He's rescuing me. And here's why I say all this. This is why we've read all that we've read and all that we've said. Let's wrap it up with this thought. There will be circumstances in life that definitely go beyond your strength. And you have got to learn not to trust in you, but to trust in Him. And you've got to refer to God and know God as a rescuer. Know Him as a deliverer. Know Him as the one that's going to come and rescue you from death and every other thing that comes close. And you've got to be able to have the confidence to say, not only has He delivered me, He will deliver me. I've set my hope on Him. One thing that Paul learned in this chapter was to stop relying on himself and to rely on God who raises the dead. If anything good came out of it, and there was good that came out of it, here's the good. He learned not to rely on himself, but to rely on God who raises the dead. Don't let the sentence of death get in you. But rather see God as a God to whom belongs escapes from death. Thank God. Uh, this is not fantasy, guys. This is not some made-up little thing. We, make, we tell ourselves to feel better. We don't believe in a historical God that used to do stuff. I believe in a living God. I believe in the living word of God. I believe in the power of God. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen escapes from death. I've seen miracles. I've seen healings. You've seen them too. We can't start viewing this as philosophy. We can't start viewing this as a nice way to think about the world or a way to make ourselves feel better when things are going wrong. You have to remember God is a very ever-present help in time of you have to know he's here. You have to know he is strong. You have to know he's mighty to save. You have to know he keeps covenant with his people. You have to know that you're his children and he looks out for his children. And you have to be able and brave enough and full of faith to call on the name of the Lord in the day of trouble and believe that you'll be saved.